divided church creates confusion among believers and unbelievers. The principles of the Restoration Movement remind us to go back to the authority of the New Testament to restore the unity and simplicity of our faith. We are starting a new series, so this is a good time to come. A good time to come, and we're also talking about what kind of church is this. Uh, I was born in East Tennessee in Maryville, so if you're from East Tennessee, you know how to say Maryville. We all know if you're not, because you go Marysville. It's not Marysville, it's Maryville. Anyway, the first church I attended, I was an infant in the nursery at First Christian Church in, uh, in Maryville, and then my dad got transferred. We moved to uh, Geelong, Australia, and... The next church I attended, uh, four years old, like six and a half, was Latrobe Christian Church. And I'll never forget it because they didn't have any central heat or central air. Uh, the Aussies are very outdoorsy type people, and so you just tough through it, you know, if it's hot or if it's cold. But they did have this one pipe that went in, like behind the pew. It, it, it carried warm water. And so if you got cold, you put your feet on that. That's how you got heat in that church building, and it was common, the way to heat. Anyway, I would lay underneath that pipe. And so uh, we moved from there uh, to uh, uh, Pennsylvania, to Lebanon, Pennsylvania, and we ended up going to church in Lancaster. And so uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, there's uh, Abbey Real, Abbeville Road Church of Christ. And so uh, I kind of grew up there, and, uh, and, and I've always been associated with... Uh, with uh, the Restoration Movement churches, Church of Christ Christian Church, one that you're in right now is part of that tribe. And so um, I really didn't know why uh, I was part of, uh, of this, this group of, of believers. But uh, when I attended high school, a lot of my friends were non-churchgoers. In fact, almost all of them, except for a few, would go to Mass every once in a while. And so people would ask me, say, like, what kind of church do you go to? And I would like, Christian church? I, I guess. Why you go there? My parents take me there, right? Uh, um, why do you go so often? Again, there's no option in my, in my dad's house, you know, like you got in the car and you went. And so anyway, uh, I really didn't know the answers to those questions until my life became very broken. And I made a decision to come back to know Christ because my life was a wreck without him. And I began to ask the hard questions of like, you know, about Jesus, God, the kind of questions you ask, and like, why go to, why to go to a church like this? Why go to a, a, a Christian church, a church of Christ, a restoration movement church? And so, if you don't know anything about the restoration movement, there's a little article where you picked up your bulletin on the way in on that table out there that says simply Christians. I, I encourage you to pick one of those up and read it, uh, and it'll give you a little bit more historical background to what we are as a church movement. But again, coming back to the idea of that, why did I ask the question? Why did I make the decision of belonging to this tribe of people? Well, because my life was very broken in need of restoration. The word restoration is one of my favorite words. I won't tell you the words I don't like because as soon as I list them to you, you will repeat them back to me and then I won't like you anymore. So I'm not going to tell you those words, but I like the word restoration. I love to see things uh, restored. And uh, before I got into ministry, I was a mechanic, and so one day I was out in Hardy, Virginia, uh, visiting a friend of mine, and I looked across this field, and I saw the roof of this old, well, land cruiser, 
FJ40, 1974 and a half or 75 FJ40 Land Cruiser. And these things are famous for being tough and rust buckets. And uh, so anyway, I saw that. I, I went up uh, and, and talked to the farmer and, and off, made, him, made him an offer and, and filled up the tires full of air. It had two burnt valves. It was all rusted out. I just drove it home. And, uh, and, and over a long period of time, it, it looked restored, right? Uh, get all the rust out, paint it, put new wheels on it, new interior, fix the engine and all that. And so, so uh, you know, this vehicle was, was, was a mess when I, when I started out with it. And, it, and, and a lot of time, uh, a lot of money, probably too much money for a guy raising a family. Uh, and you know how us guys justify that. I need that fishing rod. You know, I, just, I need that. And like we say, and it's like, it's a lie. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, it, it, it became uh, uh, just this, this endearing project for me. And so um, I remember my neighbor walking out going, you did what? You, you, and you parked it beside of my house because it was between our houses. Like he was not happy about that for a while. But anyway, uh, in this series, we're talking about restoration. What kind of a church is this? What kind of a church is this? So in this very short series, we're going to be looking at our identity in this movement we call the Restoration Movement, but also our identity of being restored in Jesus at the same time. And so it's important for us to understand that there is a, a process, that there is the possibility of being restored from all types of brokenness. Now, some of you are here today, and your lives are pretty broken, like, that's generally why we come back to church, or we come for the first time. It's because there's been some, some difficulty, some choice someone has made, or some choice maybe you've made, and it brings, it, it turns you into a wreck, and you're in need of being restored. And so, that's part of what we're going to be talking about. This church actually has an amazing legacy in the restoration movement. And I want to share a little bit about that as well. But if you invite somebody to church, like I have in the past, they might say, well, what kind of a church is it, right? And so we usually start out with things like, well, the preacher wears jeans, and we have drums on stage, and they got great coffee, and people are nice, and, you know, we say things like that. But that really doesn't get the heart of the matter. It, it gives them a description of what to expect. But it really doesn't identify what we are as, as, as a body, as a congregation. And so what I hope to do at the end of this series is that you would understand what to, how to respond back to the question, well, what kind of church is this? And so your response is that starting with, we are a church that wants to be restored. There are a lot of messed up people that have come to this church and are part of this church, and they are being restored, and I'm one of them. Like, we show our humility, our honesty, our transparency, and we can also talk about our identity in a bigger movement that's beyond the, it's beyond, you know, 1186 Fairview North. It's, it's, it's beyond that. When your parent or parents brought you home from the hospital, you were a cute, cuddly little baby. You were perfect. You were beautiful. I mean, you might have had a stinky diaper on every now and then, but man, you were, you were something to, it's something to hold a beautiful baby, is it not? I mean, just to think about how, like, fresh they are, like, you know, and, and, and I don't mean to say we're going to eat them, but like, just, like, they're just so, you know, 
nice and cuddly and, you know, and as a grandparent, you can hand them back when they start to smell. But, but, uh, but over time, uh, everybody has this experience. Either choices they make or choices someone else has made have brought brokenness into their life. And what started out as brand new begins not looking brand new anymore. And, and as a matter of fact, sometimes we can't even hide it. it, it our brokenness begins to show on the outside and it, it begins to be recognized. People can look at a, a person's countenance, a person's you know, facial expressions, and know something's not right. I mean, we begin to look like we have some need of some repair. You know, we got, we got some flat tires, some rust, some burnt valves in the engine, like there's some problems. And so um, we need restoration. We need it as an individual, and we need it as a church. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. But... Again, when I brought home that old Land Cruiser and parked it beside my house, my neighbor come out and said, like, who would do that? Like, who would who'd work on something like that? Like, who wants to, you know, get out the cutting torch and the grinding wheel and cut all the rust out and do all the scraping and tear apart the engine and disassemble the, you know, the, the, the uh, axles and, 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 and steering mechanism and all, all the things you have to do to restore. A, like, who wants to take a wreck and restore it? Jesus wants to do that in our lives. He is not intimidated by your sin. He is not intimidated and, and he is not taken aback. He doesn't go, when, when you confess to him what you have done or what has been done to you, like there's nothing that shocks Jesus. And like he looks at our broken lives and he's like, I'll do the hard work. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, that's where I shine. I'm, I am a master mechanic, the Lord would say to us in this, you know, using this language. He, he wants to restore. He wants that. He looks forward to that. He looks forward when we bring him our brokenness. And he's like, finally, we can get to work in, in restoring what's broken. Who wants to do the work of restoration? Jesus wants to restore us because he sees our potential. It is not easy. A restoration project of like a, a vehicle or a house, it, is, it, it takes a long time. You know, it, I mean, there's a, lot, there's a lot that goes into what breaks us, and there's a lot that goes in to restore us. So patience is required. But you have to understand that every time we're in the presence of the Lord, whether that's in worship or in the Word of God or in prayer or with other believers, God is, He is doing, He's carving out. He's carving out little pieces, and He's working to restore us. And Jesus sees our potential and that's why he will go to the utmost lengths to make it happen. When Jesus saw Peter, he saw in the beginning, like he sees a loud mouth. Any guys in here speak before they think? Right? Right. So we've got some honest people. And some of you are going to have to work on that. But anyway, um, you get it, right? Like. Peter was a hothead, and he would fly off, and he would, 
he would say things and do things that were not right, but Jesus saw beyond that. If you don't know Peter's story, he's one of the best friends of Jesus, one of the inner circle, the inner three. And on the night of Jesus' betrayal, before he's going to wind up on a cross the next day, Peter said, I'll never deny you, but Peter did deny him. Denied him, looking at him eye to eye, declared he never knew him. But you know what Jesus did after he was raised from the dead? He went back to Galilee, and he met Peter, who was fishing on the lake, and he cooked him breakfast, and he reestablished that love connection that he had for Peter. See, Jesus saw beyond the wreck of who Peter was. He knew his potential would be awesome once he was restored through the love that Jesus had for him. The woman at the well, John 4, this woman had been married five times, right? five times, and she was with someone who wasn't her husband, and Jesus saw beyond that, and he saw in her a missionary, because after their conversation, she gets up and runs back to her town and says, you got to come and see this guy. He told me everything about who I am. And I'm sure the people were there like, I've been wondering who you are. <laughs> I'm going to go talk to that guy, right? Uh, no, she, she began to proclaim who Jesus was, bringing this new water, the living water. And, 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 and she was swept up. And Jesus saw beyond her brokenness and saw her as potential missionary. And that's what she became. I mean, it's amazing when you think about how Jesus looks beyond our brokenness. He doesn't, that's not his focus. His focus is what we're going to become in him. And he's more than able. And so we live in a world where people are seeking help with going on what's inside of them. Most people, whether they believe in God or not, have some interest in spiritual things. The sad part is what's going on in our country today is less and less people are seeing the church as a source for spiritual nourishment. And the reason that is, is multiple reasons. But sometimes when you ask a person why they don't go to church, they will respond with, you know, well, it's not relevant. Hey, by the way, there are many times I've sat in church and I'm like, I don't know if this is relevant to who I am, right? Because I get that, I, I get that. But oftentimes they'll say things like, well, the church is full of hypocrites. I mean, there are a bunch of people over there, they don't practice what they preach. You know what? It's true. There are people who come to church, who claim to follow Jesus, and on Monday they get it wrong. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. All right, I get that. So what I'm saying is, there have always been people who complained about the people that Jesus hung out with. We read about that in Mark 2. There were religious people, religious people, they thought they were self-righteous, you know, they were right. And they looked at Jesus, and, 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 and Jesus, when he heard what they were talking about, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. People who know they're well, and they don't need help, they, they, they don't need a doctor. But those who know they're broken in need of restoration, yeah, that's the person that I've come to help, because I can't help people who, don't, who think they don't need help, Right? You can't, you know this. If you've coached, if you've taught, if you've been a parent, you understand that. You can't help somebody who doesn't think they need help. Only a person who's honest, who knows they're, they're, that's the only person that can. So here's what I'm saying Jesus has been with people who have been broken 
and other people have complained about who he's hung out with. So you're in good company if you get, if you get what I'm talking about. The church is full of messy, judgmental, hypocritical, they get it wrong this day and maybe get it right the next. That's what the church is made of. It's a messy place. If you're looking for a perfect church, please leave. I really don't want you to leave right now. You embarrass me. But, <laughs> but you get it, right? Like, we're, we're not perfect. We have not arrived. But we are trying to be restored as an individual and as the church. And so God builds his church with broken bricks. He's the chief cornerstone. He's perfect. But off that cornerstone, we get a straight line, and he builds with broken bricks. And it becomes an amazing structure. One of our elders has called this church, Cornerstone, a Holy Spirit hospital. And it really is. Early on in our history as a church, we had a group of godly women who began to pray for broken people to come to this church. And God answered our prayer. And it was scary. They came in with all kinds of problems. And I'm like, let's pray. You know, like, we don't know what else to do. Pray. And so what I'm saying is like, we are part, we, we get it. We get that we are a Holy Spirit hospital trying to help restore people's lives to, to you know, like there's triage right at the beginning. And then over time, there's, there's, there's a prescribed method. It's called discipleship where people grow and get better. And so we find the same story played out in the Bible, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 happens 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And Peter, that guy, that loudmouth, knucklehead, I was telling you, he's the first preacher that gets recorded to preach a gospel sermon. In other words, he's telling about Jesus' identity as the Messiah, that he, it was confirmed not only through prophecy, but through his works, his miracle ministry, and that this Jesus whom they crucified is actually the Messiah. Now, the audience is, is a thousands of people. Maybe 15,000. We don't know how big the audience is, but all the, all the apostles are preaching. They're, in, they're, they're preaching in the languages of the people who are gathered there, which is a miracle. But they're preaching this gospel message. And, and, and so uh, these people are hearing this. I'm going to jump at the end of his sermon, and Peter says this, Let all the house of Israel know, because almost this entire group of people are either Jews or proselytes, people who came into the faith of, Ju of Judaism. Therefore, let them know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You're a bunch of murderers. What would you say? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, change your direction, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and all your children and all who are far off. We's the far off ones. Everyone whom the Lord God has called to himself. So with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Our generation's not crooked. Everything's right. No. And, and, and so they received the word, and they were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine, like if you've ever done anything in an event, whether it's church or maybe a parade or maybe some kind of school event, like, like you were expecting 10 and 3,000 showed up. 
Just get the magnitude. So 3,000 people, and it may have been more than that. In fact, just in a few days, it's going to add and add and add, right? So these people who some spit on Jesus, some who had been healed by Jesus, when he walked down that road that's now called the Villa Della Rosa in Jerusalem, when, they, when, when he was paraded through the streets of the city, they're holding his charge against him. That, that was the custom of the Romans is the, is, the, is the execute, the one who's about to be executed. The charge was written on the board. And so the charge is that Jesus is claimed to be king of the Jews. That's why he's being put to death. And the Jews say he's not. He says he is. He's going to be crucified for this. For this. So he's walking down through there. Here's the charge. And there are people there who've been healed. And they're saying nothing. They're not saying a word. Could you imagine the guilt and the shame in that crowd of believers? These people feel like killing themselves because they've killed God. These people feel all the shame about the, the desperateness of, uh, of, of how they have offended the Lord they claim to follow. I mean, th- this group of people is full of, uh, of all kinds of emotional baggage and problems. That's how the church starts out, right? And so they're, they're lacking understanding of the big plan of God that's going to take years to teach them. There are sects within this group, the different ones who've been at odds and enemies for decades. And now they're all in this one group. Like, they've been hating one another for a long time. And now we're all supposed to be in this one community called the church. Like, could you imagine the tension there is? Like, you might have had one of those family reunions where you go and there's old uncle whoever, and he, like, he creeps you out and makes you mad, don't want to be near him. But, and here they are, all thrown into one group. Could you imagine the tensions there? And so, here we have this church start out on day one with at least 3,000 people. They have no budget. They don't have any teaching books. They have no bylaws. They have no worship team they have no children's minister. They have no student minister. They have no building. They have no coffee station. How did they survive? No coffee, right? I mean, I, I don't know how you have church without coffee. Like, it's almost an impossibility in my world. And so, how did this church survive? Here's how they survived. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Here's what they didn't devote themselves they didn't devote themselves to the right worship team, the right comfy setting, the right lighting, the right coffee, the right whatever. Like, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, so we call that the New Testament, to fellowship, so we call that like getting together now in small groups, that kind of thing. The breaking of bread, we call that communion and to prayer. That's how 3,000 misfits survived. That's what they did. There, there's the core, man. Like, that's the core thing. And so, God was restoring this broken people and building a new kingdom. It was exciting, and it was messy. Anything exciting is most of the time got some mess connected to it, right? So, we had VBS. So, we're still picking glue off the wall and got stains on the carpet. And we've got, you know, we've got like papers probably somewhere. And we're still throwing things away. Camp. Camp had a had a great weekend a, a, a great week at camp and and so we have this uh, we have all these kids show up and adults who don't know what they're doing and 
and they're all together, right? And, and so there's this big mess, right? You know, uh, little Tommy, sweet on Sally, but Sally hates Tommy. And there's, so there's that, t- and then somebody brought a phone and it had pictures that shouldn't have been on a phone anywhere. And, 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 and then there's like hating going on and, and like, it's exciting. There's like baptism at the end of the week or kids are coming forward and they're just praising God and it's messy and it's exciting. If you're looking for a non-messy church, again, it's not here. It's going to be messy because people are messy. People are broken. People need restoration and that's why we show up. It's not a perfect place, but we have a perfect Savior and one day we shall behold Him and we will be like Him, perfect in every way. All right, so anyway, um, how far... Have we moved to be devoted? So this word, this first word, what they devoted themselves, prostakero, it means to be uh, to persevere in devotion. Like you don't give up. Like, oh, I didn't understand that. I'm not coming. No, I didn't understand that. So I'm coming back. I'm asking a question. Uh, or we had a disagreement, but I'm not going to give up because that guy up front said, love God, love people. I'm going to love people. I'm making a decision to love that person. So, so what I'm saying is that, that they were devoted to carrying out what, they, what was being taught to them. They were devoted to fellowship. Like they said no to that so they could say yes to this. That's devotion, right? That, devoted to prayer. Like they said, hey, I'm going to mark out this. I didn't used to do this. I didn't used to pray Saturday morning. You know, we're going to pray first Saturday every 730. We pray and then we pray here. We pray. I'm going to be devoted to prayer time. I'm going I'm to devote time to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn that off or turn, and I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray. And so, how devoted to that model are we? See, see what I'm saying? Like, if you're like me and you're on, you say, I'm not fully devoted to that. I'm in need of restoration, not only as an individual, but as a church. Like, I want to be like them because that's how they got it done. That, that's how it works. And so they were devoted to that. Look, decay in our life spiritually or in our life corporately as a congregate happens quickly. It doesn't take long. It's our human condition, right? I'm going to do this. So I'm not going to ask you to show hand, but some of you probably made some New Year's resolutions. Here we are in the middle of the year, right? Probably some of those resolutions aren't happening. We lose focus. We, we, we start to decay in our commitment to what, to what we've said. And it happened in the church. Look, let me show you this. Paul writes to a church, the first church in Ephesus, which he established in 60 AD. And he says this, I've heard of your faith in the Lord. He's heard about it through people who've been to Ephesus, and they've heard about how much they love one another. Like, that became a characteristic that was broadcast throughout the Roman Empire. Paul heard about it and commended them, celebrated the fact that they had loved one another and it became famous. Um, look how these Christians love each other. Look how they, forg- look how they support one another. Uh, this guy sold this piece of land so this person could eat. Like, they heard, that was known. Thirty years later, Jesus says this to that same group of believers. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. 30 years. We're 20 years old. Well, 19 technically, but we're okay. You get it? 
Like within 30 years, they went from a church that was famous to loving one another to a church that wasn't, to a church that the Lord actually rebuked them. Jesus himself walked up and and said, look, I'm going to take the lampstand. I'm going to take the light if you guys don't return back to loving each other as you were instructed, as you once did. It's possible. I know you can do it. You did it once before. You need to go back to that. You need to have that kind of love. And so... It's always encouraging to me when I see Christians love one another. So uh, there's, we, we had this widow in our congregation, and she was uh, in some need and some care. And she called, and I passed that on, and a team of guys got together and went, and she celebrated that fact, sent me a bunch of texts saying, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. for, for, for And I didn't do anything. I just passed the message on. Uh, Shelly uh, Lisk, he's, he's in Australia. He's there because... This congregation gave over $5,000 to fund the first leg of his missionary journey in Australia. Like the very beginnings of this church, before we ever had this building, this church dedicated uh, thousands of dollars to build a church in India and, and sent two guys over there to dedicate. I mean, I don't, isn't that kind of cool? Like you're part of a congregation that gets generosity as part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I am in awe when these things are restored back to, the, to the God's church. Like, that's the kind of church I want to be part of. That's the kind of church we're trying to be. And so God wants to restore us, and, and, and it's so important. Cornerstone began in the summer of 2002 when 30 people met for prayer in the front yard of a home not far from here. From those early, early gatherings, it became evident that these believers had a special bond of fellowship. That group continued to meet on Sunday mornings, first in a home and next in a rented space, and eventually built this building in 2005, which in which you are sitting, and again in, in the second section in 2008. By, by grace of God, in the fall of this year, we hope to be out of debt and planning for expansion. All right? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? You know, that didn't happen because, you know, people weren't dead. That happened because people were generous and dedicated and committed and surrendered themselves to this purpose of building a a church where people who hated church would love to come, of making a place and a space available for people who were distant from God come and bring all their junk, open it up here. Let's get it out in the open. Let's begin to work on, like, there there is no question out of bounds. There is no sin beyond God's grace. This is a place where you can be safe and know that God loves you and his people love you. And if someone isn't loving you because of your sin, you tell them about me and I will go talk to them with an elder and we will address that. Like we are serious and spot on and wanting to be a church that is is trying to restore people because we are part of a movement called the Restoration Movement which is trying to restore simple New Testament Christianity so there are no barriers to knowing who Jesus is. You know, like, you don't have to have nice clothes to come here. You don't have to have a Bible to come here. You can steal one. They're right in the church. church. Just take one, right? The preacher said, go. You're not really stealing. They're there, right? right. So what I'm saying is, like, we want all the barriers to be out of the way. And that's that's how our movement began. There were so many divisions. In the church, all the divisions in Europe had made their way into the United States. And the church was so divided. Some of you took communion today, right? There was a day that unless you belonged to that specific sect and you had a little token, 
you would walk in there and you would give this token to the leader and the leader would say, okay, you can take communion. If you weren't part of their recorded sect, you couldn't have communion there. It was against the law. You could be actually be put into jail. Like, what? Yes. Actually, there were people who were excommunicated because they actually went into the Western, Western frontier and were serving communion to pioneers who were out in the, out in the, out in the bush, out in the woods, and, and people were saying, you can't do that. You can't share Jesus with people who aren't part of our tribe. Like, and they were like, that's ridiculous. There's got to be a better way. And so that's what these, these restoration leaders, all coming from different walks of life, uh, leaders in their own denominations was like, there's got to be a better way because they saw the church divided. And so one of the slogans in our movement is this, let Christian unity be our polar star. In other words, it's our, it's our true north. In other words, we're going to work towards uniting with everyone on the essential issues so that we can grow the kingdom and introduce Jesus to people all over the world. And why do we do that? Because Jesus prayed for that. On the night of his betrayal, Jesus was in the garden, and he, this is part of his prayers. It's the entire prayers recorded in John 17. And this part of the prayer says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. There's the apostles, that we would believe in Jesus because the apostles wrote it down, that they might all be one, unified, just as the you, the Father, are in me, and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. The church of America was so divided. That was not the Lord's will. The Lord's will is that we would be one family, one community, one church, and that in doing so, we would have one voice, one Lord, one faith, one baptism to announce to the world that Jesus is the way to the Father. And that's what we're about as a restoration. This is our tribe's motto. It's one of the mottos. And so Jesus prayed that, 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 that this would happen. And leaders from different movements came together. This, another, movement that, another phrase that describes our movement is this, that we are, not, we are not the only Christians. We are Christians only. There are believers in every kind of tribe and Christian about this. People who love the Lord. They, they may say things differently. They may have some different traditions, but they are, they are walking with Jesus the best they know how. We're not the only Christians. You know, the old joke, like some people have such a narrow minded about the kingdom of God that when they get to heaven, you know, uh, somebody's being led around heaven and, and they're being shown all these places of worship, but they say, be quiet because these people think they're the only ones here. You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's not that way. We are, we are Christians only. Like, don't, you know, don't call me by some man's name. Don't call me by some tradition's name. Just, just call me a Christ follower. Just call me a little Christ. That's what the word Christian means. It means little Christ. It was a demeaning word in the first century. Like they would say, oh, Christian, that's a, that's a, that's a down word. Like they're little Christ. Well, but to us today, it's like, you know, it's a big word. It's a good word. Another phrase is that the church of Jesus Christ on earth is essentially, intentionally, and constitutionally one. We believe that there's one church, not many churches. There's one, and we're part of that. And there may be differences, but we are a movement are trying to put away the differences that, that, that are separating us. And so this is what we're about when we, when we call ourselves, just call us Christians. And what is this church? The Church of Christ. Well, what denomination? It's not one. We don't have a denominational headquarters. There's no synod, no presbyter, no Vatican, nothing anywhere telling us what we do and what we believe because we have the New Testament to tell us that because Christ is the head. Christ is the head. 
And so what we are is, uh, is led, what the Bible shows us is there's, there's several men who are godly men. The Bible lays out, you know, qualities to find in these men who will govern the church. So there are six elders here at Cornerstone. There's Ryland Hankins, Dennis Tucker, Tim Fisk, Bill Randolph, Eric Motley, Chris Stallard, and Bob Paddock. And so we collectively get together, second Tuesday of every month, and we start out with this question, who's hurting in our church? And we begin to pray, and we begin to like think about that. We, we talk about other things, many other things. Sometimes we get off track. But what we're trying to do is shepherd the congregation that God has brought to us and, and, and care for them. That's how the New Testament... There is not the pastor. Always be careful of a church that has the pastor. And he makes all the decisions. Be careful of that. I'm not saying that can't work. I'm just saying that's not the New Testament pattern. Be careful of one man in charge of everything. Right? It's not a good thing. And so God has built in some checks and balances in, in bringing you know, a group of people together who can you know, call each other out on things and say, I don't know about that. Like, what's the Bible say about that? So, so this, is, this is what we believe. You can go to our website, click on what we believe, core values. You can see all that if you, if you want to dig down a little further. We have no, here's another phrase from our, our, our restoration move. We have no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ. You know, my friends growing up, they went through these different, like, classes to be part of the churches they went to occasionally. We don't have, we have the New Testament. We have the Bible. And so we, we go to that. We try to disciple people from what Jesus taught and what the apostles taught. And so we're not adding anything in. We're not taking anything away. Uh, and where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. We try to be silent. Like, it's not easy to be silent. Sometimes one of the most spiritual things we can do is shut up, right? Like, I'm just serious. Like, we, we, we step in it sometimes. No, we not. And so what, whenever someone tries to argue from silence, there was a part of our brotherhood that started to do that. They said, well, the Bible doesn't have this in it, so we shouldn't have that. You, you understand what I'm seeing silence? So, so here's one of the things they said. They said, the Bible doesn't talk about praise bands. It doesn't talk about drums. It doesn't talk about guitars. We shouldn't have any kind of instrumental music. Like, there was a group that does that, right? But you know what else the Bible doesn't talk about? It doesn't talk about chairs. It doesn't talk about buildings. It doesn't talk about parking lots. It doesn't talk about bathrooms. It doesn't talk about children's ministers or student ministers. It doesn't talk about any of that. Do you see the problem when you argue from silence from Scripture? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. We shouldn't do that. That's a problem. You'll put yourself in a box so small you can't even get out of it eventually. And so what I'm saying is that we try to do Bible things in Bible ways, right? But we, we don't always get it right. And, and, and we try to talk where the Bible... We try to look at the major principles of New Testament Christianity and abide by those. That's what we're trying to do. We have not arrived. We're still, we're still, still learning. And so we're going to have some different opinions. Have we not? Everybody's got an opinion. I got a phrase about that. You do too, right? And so in essentials, unity. In opinions, liberty. And in all things, love. That's one of our slogans. So... Where we see the Bible, you know, these core values, who Jesus is. The Bible is the inerrant word of God. Jesus is coming back. That, that, that we as a, as, as a people and as a church are to try to live like Jesus. Like as we see the essentials, we say like, these are, these, these are the, this is the short list. 
of what it means to be in fellowship with us. But in matters of opinion, liberty. So I'm not going to list all the things that Christians disagree on, but a lot of them fit in that opinion category. And it's okay for people to have different opinions about certain issues. And then in all things love. So even when we have differing opinions, we're going to love one another. We're going we're gonna to be able to have a conversation. We're not going to hate each other after it. We're going to say, hey, this is how I think. I see how you're thinking about that, but it looks like we're not agreeing on this. And so anyway, what I'm saying is that, that you and I are part of something very unique and special when we're part of the restoration movement. We are trying to restore New Testament Christianity so that people can find Jesus so simply and not have to jump through a bunch of hoops that it, it, it's so basic. This past week, um, one, of our believe, one of our young believers, I, I'll let him tell the story, but one of our young believers baptized a, a new believer down at camp. That would be forbidden in some groups. But the Bible shows that anytime someone understands who Jesus is and wants to follow him, they're ready for baptism, and any other believer can baptize them. That's simple. New Testament Christianity is so cool. It ought to be that simple. It ought to be that easy. It ought to be, it ought to be like, well, where did we learn that? We created on our own? No, we, we actually read the New Testament, read the book of Acts, and like, okay, that's what they were doing. So that's what we'll do. And so I know we're a messy church. I know we're a church that is being restored as well. So when I drive down the road, I see all kinds of new cars. Everybody loves a new car, a new car smell, right? But what turns my head is a restored car, restored muscle car, restored old truck. I mean, that's what turns my head. And I'm like, why does it turn my head? Because somebody put a labor of love into some old piece of junk and brought it back to life. And that's just cool. And I'm like, that is so sweet. And, and it just inspires me. And so some people want to walk away from a broken church, but not Jesus. He's not. And as a matter of fact, we see him rebuke that church in Ephesus, say, you need to love one. He's not giving up. And we're not giving up. Our churches have problems because there are people in them, right? But, but we continue to, to, to look for, for Jesus' ideal in our life. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That, you know, you, you, we used to use the word transformation, but you could use the word restoration here, that, that what was broken is now restored back to its pre, preeminent condition. And so the first step, are you hearing me, of being restored is admitting that you're broken. That's the first step. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to fix it. That doesn't mean the person you're going to talk to is going to give you the answers. But it, begin, it, it starts with like, hey, I've got rust. I've got some burnt valves. I've got some flat tires. I've been sitting in the weeds a long time, right? Like it starts with that. I'm so sick and tired of people saying, ah, oh, everything's okay. It's, it, you know, we're not okay all the time. Sometimes we're okay, and it's good that some of us are okay when others aren't, right? Because we can lean on one another. But what I am saying is like you just, you have to understand that God does not want the Photoshop version of your life. We want everyone to believe that what we show on our social media platforms, whatever they might be, that's who we are. That's, God doesn't want that. And if you live life long enough, you know all those pretty pictures people are posting when they're on vacation, they're all happy and smiling, that 15 minutes ago they were all fighting to get out on the beach with their white shirts and get that fancy picture. And everybody was crying and mad at one another. And, like, and they're all like, and then they turn around and they're like, Argh! you know, and dad, uh, you know, I'm going to go, yeah. And so anyway, you know, that, that's, that's not who we are. 
And, and God doesn't want that. He doesn't want the Photoshop version of your life. And we don't either. Don't bring your Photoshop version to church. Bring that version that needs, to, needs help. Because that's the only way we can help each other. So we need a master mechanic. What kind of church is this? It's a church that wants to be restored. Ordinary, messy men and women finding healing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. I'm grateful that I am part of the church, that you would love me and accept me even though I don't deserve it. I know what I deserve, but you've given me a gift. You've restored me, and you're continuing to transform me as you are in this with so many people here today. And I pray, Father, that you would work and speak into our lives the things that we need to respond to right now. It's in Jesus' name, and I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.